Hello everyone and welcome to Back of the Grid. Thanks again for joining us. Um, our, our plan this week was to just come and have a nice little chat about um, the new drivers joining the grid. Just sort of, you know, look at their history, have a chat about them, see what we think. And then F1 being F1 this winter has just gone and dumped. Is it news? I guess it's news. Mm. I don't know, but we should probably finish the intros first. Hi, I'm Stu. No, I'm following Tom's lead from last week and just like... <laughs> Chaos. <laughs> waiting for a while. That wa- that was indeed Stu, and Tom's also here. Hi. It, yeah, it, it's wild. Like I can't believe what's happened today. I think be- Mohammed Ben Suleim tweeting what he's tweeted is is absolutely outrageous in, in any sort of line of work. Like for the for essentially the the ruling body of the it, it, it's the equivalent to FIFA coming out and saying a particular. F- no, not even a particular football team, but like a particular league isn't worth a certain amount of money, right? Like, because that's what he's saying. So, do you want to? Do you want to? Yeah. Shall we get into what's help, been said and then we help can a fella react. and maybe some listeners out because I've been buried deep in my work today and I don't it's, know about this yet. So this is going to be fun. Right. Listen <laughs> to this because this is outrageous. Go on, Chris. Sorry. And I'm your host this week, Chris. Um, <laughs> let's get into it. So, <laughs> right. Buckle up. So yesterday, um, Mohammed Ben Salim, the FIA president, tweeted, as the custodians of motorsport, I mean, what, what an opening. Wow. <laughs> the custodians, the of, custodians motorsport. of motorsport. Brilliant. Um, the FIA, as a non-profit organisation, is cautious about alleged inflated price tags of $20 billion being put on F1. Any potential buyer is advised to apply common sense, consider the greater good of the sport, and come with a clear, sustainable plan, not just a lot of money. It is our duty to consider what the future impact will be for promoters in terms of increased hosting fees and other commercial costs, and any adverse impacts that it could have on fans. What he didn't do there was say specifically what it was he was talking about. It was like a little bit general. (laughs) What it was talking about was basically there was a report in uh, Bloomberg uh, late last week that said that the Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund, um, who they are the ones that took over Newcastle Football Club recently, um, they explored a potential buyout of Formula One. um, And Liberty Media basically said, no, thanks. We've got no interest in in selling up at this point. Um, But off the back of that news story, FAA president decided to tweet that whatever that was um f1 bile um, i think the word you're looking for is (laughs) (laughs) um so formula one today um sent a letter specifically it was from f1's chief legal officer uh, someone called satcher woodward hill and liberty media's chief legal officer uh renee will uh, they sent this letter to the FIA and F1 teams were sent copies as well. Um, and BBC Sport and Sky Sport also mysteriously acquired copies of the letter. I can't imagine how that could have happened. <laughs> um, so F1 said, F1 has the exclusive right to exploit the commercial rights in the FIA F1 World Championship. The FIA has given unequivocal undertakings that it will not do anything to prejudice the ownership, management, and or exploitation of these rights. Um, so the the general gist is like a number of years ago, there was like a hundred year lease signed, basically. There was like, for the next hundred years, Formula One as an entity, farm, I guess, have the commercial rights 
they have sole ownership of that FIA don't control it basically yeah that's correct yeah um, they went For, on basically Formula 1 management own Formula 1 is, is the gist of it that's, yeah. What yeah. that's what it says for, for the next 80 years yeah um, it went on the the FI president's remarks. Um, remarks made from the FI president's social media account interfere with their rights in an unacceptable manner. The circumstances in which the FI would have any role in a change of control in the F1 group are very limited. Any suggestion or implications to the contrary, or that any potential purchaser of the F1 business is required to consult the FI is wrong. Um, and he added that commenting on the value of a listed entity, especially claiming or implying possession of inside knowledge while doing so, risks causing substantial damage to the shareholders and investors of that entity, not to mention potential exposure to serious regulatory consequences. To the degree that these comments cause damage to the value of Liberty, Liberty Media Corporation, the FIA may be liable as a result. <laughs> And concluded that F1 and Liberty hope that uh, hope and trust that it will not be necessary to address this issue again. <laughs> yeah. So this is this is a very very long legally winded way of saying, keep your nose out, or we'll come and get you. We'll come and see pipe you. down, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, right. Who's who's side you on? First I mean, it's it's very quickly becoming a case of uh, Mr. Sullium should maybe think before he tweets and possibly have his Twitter access revoked. Maybe wind his neck in a bit. Speaking on such issues. Elon (laughs) Bensulium. It's funny, like, all the... Jean Todd had two terms as FIA president, and he basically didn't get involved in anything, did he? He mostly just, like, did his, like, road safety campaigns and that stuff, and just never got involved with the politics of it. Yeah, basically, basically, like, the the king of motorsport... (laughs) Yeah, like just just like they just wheel him out, or like the Pope, more like a Pope, He's yeah, like a Pope yeah. of motorsport, and they just wheel him out and cer- particular ceremonies and stuff. He hands over trophies, <laughs> kisses babies' heads, yeah, and cuts ribbons, you know, big scissors, me, cuts ribbons, yeah, yeah, all that stuff. Um, and yeah, then like strange. Ben Sayan has been in the job for like what a couple of months now, maybe a little more, and he just seems to be sticking his oar into. Everything, everything going yeah yeah everything. yeah i don't know about you guys but i'm getting tired of this dude man <laughs> like, yeah I... i'm so sick of him just popping up everywhere and having massive opinions about different aspects of motorsport it's like that's not why you were elected you're elected to quietly run the sort of the management of the of, yeah of the fia and instead, he's just everywhere with massive opinions. And another thing I don't like is the the recent. We haven't. We'll probably get to this maybe later. But I also don't like the um, the new rule that they brought in for twenty twenty. Did we talk about this last week? The thing about um, drivers not being allowed to have opinions about matters outside of the sport. We didn't actually know. I thought, um, I thought I we think brought it's outrageous. Up briefly, we maybe mentioned but, it. I guess yeah. the the update to that is that like. Or it was a question. Maybe I can't remember specifically. About. Yeah, actually, it was an inbox question. I can't remember what organisation was specifically, but a human rights organisation basically said, "Bird, based in Bahrain." That was it. Basically said, "No, you can't do that. That's that is literally infringing on the rights of the drivers to have opinions. You can't just tell them not to have yeah. opinions," um, which yeah. is completely correct. And yeah, yeah, it's it's it's. I th- this is obviously against the backdrop of what seems to be an increasingly fractured relationship between F1 and the FIA. And I feel like that was already happening before Ben Sayalan took over, and it probably still would be happening had he not been in charge now. But 
he just seems to be stood there fanning the flames constantly. Yeah. yeah. I'm I'm interested to know what the electoral process is for this presidency of the FIA. I believe I'm right in saying that um, various people can put themselves forward, and I think it's like the the higher ups within each sort of local organisation vote on them so like mm. you know the heads of like european motorsport the heads of middle eastern motorsport south american etc they i believe they vote on it's a bit like, like fifa then two candidates of course it is yeah yeah and probably about as transparent and not corrupt <laughs> in the slightest yeah um, i mean all of this i mean you know depending on which side of the tightrope you fall like you know and it is walking this tightrope of who's worse the FIA or form a lot of the time. Yeah, um, yeah. Right now, I mean, I, I fall probably. I, I don't. I don't like the way the FIA have been conducting themselves over the last sort of two years. Really, um, I no. think some of the stuff that's happened on track. There's still a lot of explaining to do. That admittedly, they have like tried to become less opaque and, and more transparent about what what decision making processes have involved and why and how they've come to certain decisions and stuff like that but there's still a hell of a lot of work to do and I think when the guy at the top is sort of doing what he's doing it it, it just muddies the waters further it just makes everyone more suspicious of the FIA and sort of what agenda this guy's got for for motorsport at large you know to me it sounds it almost feels like because because there were accusa- there was there were rumours that um, Saudi Arabia, I guess as a as a as a state, was going to buy Formula One, right? Did you hear about that? Yeah, yeah, that's what that's the one I mentioned that's, earlier. It's the the Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund. Yeah. So Saudi Arabia, essentially, <laughs> right? Like, is that right, or am I? There's there certainly. I'm just going to put that out there. That sounds like it's basically the Saudi Arabian pension fund of everyone in the country. <laughs> it being lobbed into Formula One. It's like, oh, okay, man. we've got all this money. Let's buy Formula One. That's not a bad idea, you know. Maybe our government <laughs> should do that. We'd all have great <laughs> uh, statutory pensions. Hey, Mike, I'll just say, I'm not a financial advisor, but my stocks in FOM are doing me wonders. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I like... I think like this guy there's something fishy going on with Ben Suliam to me now. Like I think for him to be having all these opinions and having all these agendas around like Formula One, to me it feels like he's he's sort of trying to get he's trying to worm his way in further into the structure of Formula One itself. It, it feels that way, doesn't it? Like Cause that's just as an outsider. Like that that's what it I mean, to to be tweeting some of the things he's tweeting and to be Suddenly, for the FIA president to suddenly be so involved in motorsport, in, in Formula One, so of course he's involved in motorsport, in, in Formula One specifically, then what other agenda could you possibly have other than to have more of an influence over the pinnacle of motorsport, yeah. right? It, it definitely well, feels like it's sort of an attempt to kind of destabilize the Liberty side of things. Like, so, so Liberty bought F1 in 2017 for eight and a half billion. I don't yeah. think anyone would doubt that Formula One as an entity is worth more than that now. I think 
they they've done a pretty good job of growing the sport. I can I can confirm. Amazing job. Amazing. It has grown. <laughs> <laughs> Back to my previous comment. <laughs> I mean, not only whether, that, but inflation has gone up. Yeah, whether it's well, worth so. twenty billion now, I don't know. But for the FA president to come out and basically like poo poo it, basically saying no, it's not. Yeah, that's no, not worth is, that much. I think it's outrageous. I think it's completely totally unnecessary for him to come out saying things like that i mean now that i read it again as custodians of motorsport the faa as a non-profit organized non-profit organization <laughs> as a non-profit organization is cautious about alleged inflated price tags of 20 billion being put on f1 so who's putting that price tag on f1 a fun yeah, putting, exactly. putting that on f1 or is someone else putting that price tag on f1 yeah it's not really because and also, like, why does he care how much money? Why does he care? Why why does it matter to him the the price of Formula One? It makes no difference to him. Yes, yeah. mm-hmm. he, he's in charge of all motorsport, so he's in charge of World Rally Championship. He's in charge of World Endurance Championship. He's in charge of every other facet of touring cars. You know, every uh, GT cars, the lot. You name it. The FIA. If it's an FIA series, he's in charge of it. Formula Two, Formula Three, Formula Ford, and. Mm-hmm. To, to to focus your your sort of your beam so so firmly on on one of those sports just seems wrong. It just seems really really strange when he's, he must have so many other priorities as, as the president of the yeah. FIA. I mean, yeah, you can imagine like lots of other motorsports watching this happening, being like, "Hey, remember us? Like yeah. we we, <laughs> have, we have problems. We have things that need sorting out." And yeah. also, non non profit organization, the FIA. <laughs> is that the case? From their <laughs> literal palace in France. Yeah. <laughs> it's not for profit. Oh, it's not for profit, though. <laughs> no, no, no. We and might also, make like, a big you know, profit, but it, it, we didn't intend to. <laughs> the fines they dish out to Formula One teams yeah, and right. drivers for, for yeah. the most. It makes you wonder, like, and I've said this before in here, and <laughs> I find myself saying that a lot lately, but. It makes you wonder if Formula One and Formula One management, Formula One as a sport and Form as the people who own it, and they do own Formula One, there's no doubt about that. Do they, why would they need the FIA? Like they could easily, they've got the rules. The rules are all written down, they're all there. So, <laughs> I mean, and it's their sport. They're still very so, vague though. They might as well just read it. Well, yeah, them. I mean, you could, you could probably just, you could probably <laughs> well, get away start again. You could probably do a 10-page booklet and it would probably be more secure than the FIA rulebook on Formula One, <laughs> sporting and technical. Um, well, that's not... Obviously, that's not true. <laughs> technical rulebook's very, very strict, rightly or wrongly. That's a whole other episode. Um, I, I don't think they need them. I think they could... Formula One is, is prestige and, and powerful enough on its own. You don't need the FIA label on the front of that sport for it to be for it to be relevant you know your average like, viewers just isn't going to care yeah no one cares no. Like, no who cares about that i don't care i'm a i'm a hardcore I'm, formula one fan i don't care if it's got fia written on the front of it yeah like oh well you yeah. they won't be able to use the phrase world champion anymore all right of course they will why not you can't I, commandeer I'm, I'm, the I'm, word world champion <laughs> no i'm pretty sure in motorsport only fia sanctioned series are allowed to but yeah be says world who, champions well, says, says the FIA, I suppose. Yeah, just yeah. because they said it doesn't mean that, that that's the Maybe case. Maybe they've got, like, got it trademarked, but that seems... 
That's the kind of well, aggressive you, thing they it, would do. Then you'd call it something. You call it a global champion. Exactly. Yeah. Like it's not a problem. Yeah. It's it def- still a- like. Yeah, this definitely feels like the beginning of something potentially like very big. Like that, as we said, the the relationship was already pretty strange. It just seems to be getting worse. Um, mm. And the the way F one have responded to it is very much like a a bit of a line in the sand kind of thing. Like, no, this is this is this has gone too far now. You need yeah. to because yeah, but they've also probably used an actual PR team to put together something that's concise to the point yeah. and just puts a line through it Ben Sulliam just appears to pick up his phone and go I'm gonna tweet this like it's one of the it, the last couple of weeks have like striked me as he just uses it like his personal account and spouts an mm. opinion yeah. with he no regard well, just, just, just to correct you there Tom he doesn't tweet it himself he, he's laid probably half nude mm. on a chaise long and he has an assistant <laughs> pick up his phone a velvet chaise long has an assistant pick up a phone and they they, they do the typing for him he just says the thing yeah. he wants to and say stop feeding Surra- grapes for a second and surrounded by all these hyper cars do you know what yeah. have, you, have, have you actually ever been on his wikipedia page no is that, is that have i just reminded you of it <laughs> no no but my, my, no my comment did because i was like surrounded by his hypercars when you go on his wikipedia page it's not his fia achievements it's not anything the first section is basically here's a list of his car collection and it just lists all the cars that he owns and that's it <laughs> like great. that's the highlight of his wikipedia page great and cool <laughs> yeah it's um i look forward to the first day in the paddock at the first Grand Prix, hearing all of the um, yeah. team principals' thoughts on this, because this ain't going away anytime they soon. That's they for won't sure. get involved. They won't. They won't be. Um, they, they won't be drawn. I don't think most of them. No. I'd, I'd be surprised. It'd you be... might get your odd sort of. I, you know, maybe Christian Horner might have a bit of an opinion, but other than that, yeah. <laughs> I don't imagine anyone. Christian Horner's always got an opinion. Yeah, yeah, there'll be a lot of fence sitting. Um, very 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 strange to me all this yeah um, and it you're right it does feel like well it's been coming anyway i think like the divide between between the fia and formula one management is getting wider and wider and it does make you wonder if this is the sort of the beginning of the end of that relationship it and it's a shame because it has only been this last sort of 13 months since um well since abu dhabi last year really. yeah yeah um, it's definitely the worst I've seen the relationship since I think it was 2009 when there was really serious talk of a breakaway series. Like this yeah. is, yeah, getting starting to feel that bad. Not but quite that, that was, bad, but it's getting that there. was yeah, that was more teams against F1 yeah. and the FIA though. That wasn't yeah. necessarily yeah F1 versus the FIA. And I think if F1 Formula One management's property F1 <laughs> decided that they were going to do this, then the teams would probably stick with FOM because they've done so much for the sport over the last yeah, for sure. you know, few years since they since Liberty yeah. have owned it. And they were, before that, the FIA and Bernie and everyone were all kind of, you know, Max Mosley and Ber- Bernie were almost inseparable, weren't they? They were always together. It was always sort of yeah. very much run in yeah. unison. United Whereas front. now, they do feel very much like very separate entities, more than ever. Yeah. And... If F1 and Form did decide to do a breakaway series, I don't think they'd have much trouble getting the other te- getting all the teams to um, to come with them. No, and that you'd only need to convince 
the a big couple ones. of the big ones and everyone else yeah. would probably just fall into line, I would imagine. Yeah. Red Bull aren't interested in racing, you know, your houses, your avataries, your 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 Alfa yeah, Romeo. Exactly. Like they, they wanna they, they wanna compete against Ferrari and Mercedes and McLaren, you you know, your your big, big, big teams. It's mm. like like the years when um Toyota were the only manufacturer left in LMP one and it's like they won Weck and won Le Mans. It was just a bit like oh, against, right. yeah, well so done. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, no, yeah, nobody. That's no good to anyone. So, yeah. I mean, Bla- Blazer's just made an interesting point in the Discord chat about that. If that change ever happened, where you wouldn't have a super license requirement anymore on F1, I and mean, it would open up doors for yeah people in those series that, Exodus to Formula yeah. One. <laughs> like people in those series that currently would struggle to get super license points because. FIA don't want to recognise it properly would yeah. have more chance of a seat. You and might then, even you know, get more teams interested in joining. To be mm, fair, because yeah. if it's not FIA based, this is it. And the other thing is, like, <clears throat> with that in mind, at what point does this whole situation become an existential threat to the FIA themselves as yeah. an entity? You know, if, if suddenly the their super license point isn't point system isn't how you get into Formula One, and Formula One have got their own super license point system, and they're, they're a bit more open about it then how many people are going to be sort of leaving the FIA and applying to Formula One's new system if they were, the theoretical new system if they were to do this? And this is all very much fantasy at the moment. (laughs) But how many of those sort of racing uh, formulas are going to leave the FIA or stop caring about the FIA and focus more on getting their drivers the opportunity and their teams the opportunity, a pathway up to Formula One? I mean, in recent times, I've literally said the words that I think at the moment the FIA are the problem. Like, yeah, it, totally. it, like yeah. have been two years. Yeah, for, Formula One manager, and I think that's the blurred line that some people don't always realise that we've talked about before. Is people like, oh, Formula One, this Formula One, that will technically half of the complaints, but well, more than half of the complaints yeah. can actually be laid at the FIA's door and Formula One as an entity actually have zero control over that particular issue. And right. it, I mean, we've, we have talked about it before, but the, it, I can't work out the angle of the, the, the thing from the last 24 hours, which is like the angle is either he's worried it will be sold on to some you know it's going to get sold on and this 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 separation is going to get even bigger or it's market manipulation as Stu alluded to like what what is he up to and i can't quite put my finger on which way it feels yet in my mind to to say to say i don't think that it's a veiled way of saying i don't think this sport is worth this much then the only way that you, the only reason why you would say that a, a, a thing is not worth as much as someone else is it is because you want the price to go down yourself. Yeah. Why would you want the price to go down yourself? Because you're probably involved in the purchase of it in some way. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what this smacks of to me. I think it stinks. Either either way, I don't think he realizes the damage he's potentially doing. And oh, he does. Come I he's would not hope. An idiot. Well, well, I think he does, and he doesn't. Care, yeah. which is more dangerous than yeah, not knowing. I think <laughs> some people just want to watch the world burn. <laughs> <Yeah. turn. laughs> on that note, should we move on to some slightly more positive, fun things for the upcoming season? Do you want to talk yeah. new? Well, I say new in quote mark drivers because <laughs> two are 
you know, the other two aren't so new. Newer um, than last season. That's for sure. They are newer than last season. What how was that so stupid? How many good new drivers we got this year? It's more than four, four, technically. Is it? is it more than four? I thought it was more than four. No, there's four technically. Okay. Piastri. Let's do do me a quick list. Piastri. Piastri, Sergeant, DeFries, Hulkenberg. I thought we had more than that. No. It just feels like it because the driver market was so insane. There's a lot. Yeah, of, there's a lot of moves. moves there's a lot of drivers at new teams, but yeah. these are either new or returning faces to the grid. So okay, let's do it. With that being said, I'm going to start with actual rookies. So we'll start with Logan Sargent. So Logan, our first American racer on the grid since um, what was it? The seven races I think that Alexander Rossi did in 2015. Oh, yeah, of course. So, first full season, providing he makes it to the end of the season. <laughs> but first no, full, I, don't, I, don't it, even, I don't even remember Alexander Rossi. I'm thinking of Scott Jegg. I mean, Scott Skeet, well, Scott no, Scott no speed. Scott he, speed. We'll get there. <laughs> he was the last full season, which was 2007. I forgot to write that one down, but, yeah, it was the last full season in mm. F1 for, for an American driver. Um, so... Uh, got a decent history, Logan. So 22 at the minute and finished fourth in last season's Formula 2 championship. Picked up two wins and another two podiums during last season. Actually won Rookie of the Year as well because it was his first year in Formula 2. Um, funnily enough, he's actually the only American driver to win an F2 race with those wins oh, wow. last season, which I didn't realise until looking into it with this. That's a nice little tidbit for you. Um, before that, he was in F3 for a few years. Um, his best finish being third overall. And that was um, when he was a year at Prima. Um, and you basically, it was a pretty closely contested season. Um, I'll get to that in a minute because there's more to that with another driver that we'll come to. Um, you might already know his name. I mean, we've mentioned it a few times, but he also did a bunch of uh, FP sessions for the last four races of last season. So he was in. He started in um, Cota, and then he did a session in Mexico, a session in Brazil, a session in Abu Dhabi, and he did the Young Drivers Test for Williams at the end of last season. Um, or was that at the end of 21? Sorry, no, that was at the end of 21. I can't remember if he did this year's, to be brutal honest with you. Um, and uh, in a little bit of a niche fact for you he would have run the number three if he could have because he's got a similar um sort of a similar passion for dale earnhardt but obviously <laughs> ricardo retains dibs on that even though he's not driving this year so he's gone for number two instead but it would have been three had ricardo not already got the dibs um and yeah that's that's kind of a, a nice little summary of logan for you um i don't want to quickly move into oscar too much i want to like maybe just get your guys opinions on logan yeah what you think what you expect so i think i think under normal circumstances and we all know how far from normal the driver market has been <laughs> in the last few months i think under normal circumstances he probably needed another season in f2 um yeah that being said uh, like a lot's been said about the the money he's probably bringing with him you know he is from a wealthy family i'm sure there will be new sponsors on the williams related to him but he's done he's had a decent enough junior career um i mean he should have won um formula three he was 
their last race in Mugello. He got like he was in like prime position to win that title, and he got taken out on the opening lap. Like totally mm-hmm. not his fault. He probably should have won that and could have won that championship. Um, he had a solid year in F two as well. Um, I'm I'm excited to see what he does. And having another American driver on the grid, I think, is a really good thing, particularly when we're about to have three races in that country. I only I think hope yeah, that it's, it's, he's got a car underneath him that can uh, that he'll actually be seen and not just tooling around at the back. Yeah, it's wild that we don't have an American driver on the Formula One on the Formula One grid still at this point. Um, having Liberty owned it for as long as they have now, yeah, I think Williams obviously isn't right now the best place for a, a well it could be the best place for a young driver because there's not going to be much pressure on him other than yeah sort of racing pootling around potentially at the back um obviously williams have got a new team principal coming in in the form of james mm-hmm. lowell's um yeah i think the proof will be in the pudding because alex albon is like a, a known quantity at this point and he can be yeah. quick yeah. So if he's close to him or beats him, then we'll know we've got something around about the real deal. Um, yeah. Um, I think my in my heart of hearts, I'd, I'd love him to. My heart says I'd love him to do really well for for Formula One. Yeah. I think having a good American driver would do it a world of good and and just keep that growth going for the sport. But my. My head says that we might have a bit of a sort of Michael Schumacher two point, uh, sorry Mick Schumacher two point <laughs> here with with Logan, but you know ho- hopefully is more Mick Schumacher than he is Lance Stroll. Yeah, that's for sure. And I, I do think Albon is a good teammate for a rookie to have. I think he will learn a lot from Albon. Yeah, um, I agree there. It's a pretty inexperienced driver lineup for a team that's trying to build their way forward. Um, but you say that. Albon's I, like been I think Al, Al, yeah, Albon so, Albon should be okay in that department going forward but I would say what I don't think is I don't think Alex Albon is a team leader I don't think he's really shown himself as a, a um, I think I think from a I think from a camaraderie and morale point of view he 100% is I think he's a nice whether guy. he like in term in terms of getting that team behind him and keeping everybody's like spirits up in the times where things aren't going so well 100 yeah. percent, alex albon can lead a team in that capacity however i don't know to what capacity he can lead them in a development point of view because yeah. he's not really been in a team to have that real opportunity has he so it might be interesting to see how williams progress into this season over last season and if logan can potentially take advantage of that if it is you know like positive growth year on year um yeah. i mean he's not exactly got no disrespect to a guy that he's probably a lot faster than me anyway but <laughs> nicholas latifi he has not got big boots to fill in that capacity has he really no true no i think expectations are probably quite low when yeah, you replace I... a nicholas latifi alex um, alex albon has there's a perception i think of in my opinion there's a perception of alex albon as a bit of a soft touch mm-hmm. and i think if that's true then it'll be It'll be, become pretty obvious pretty quick with this uh, with this new teammate. Yeah, because he's Albon has now become the senior driver in the team, so this is going to yeah. be a very different year for him. But mm. I, I think he'll he'll rise that challenge, and I think if Sargent can be close to Albon's pace, sort of 
by yeah. the second half of the season, I think we can call that a success for him as well. So, yeah, yeah. And, and I think and, uh, having James Vowles there for them both is going to be a massive help as well. Yeah, really I think it's going to be a much. I, I would imagine the atmosphere at that team is a Boyd. lot better. Yeah, since since like, that announcement, it's good. Yeah, I, think. I would hope so. The, you know, with, with what's coming in and what potentials there, I would hope that yeah, they're looking forward to a good season, at least yeah. a more competitive season than in recent years. So that's good. Um, right, let's look at our next driver. So our next driver is one that I sort of briefly alluded to before. It's Oscar Piastri. Mm-hmm. Um, most people following F1 in recent times will probably know the 21-year-old Australian's name from the huge. Uh, legal battle between McLaren and Renault Alpine about his contract um, but to be fair I would say the team's had like good reason to be scrapping for his contract rights um, there's like a, a good reason for there to be like a, a buzz around his potential I would say uh, so he won back to back championships with Prima so he took the F3 title in 2020 um, that was a three way fight between uh, Logan Sargent, who we've just been talking about, who was his teammate at the time, um, obviously Oscar Piastri and Theo Pocher. And there was literally only four points between all three of them. So like Chris mentioned it before, it went into that last race as, you know, it could have been any of them. Yeah, it was Um, Porsche who came out on top, wasn't it, in the end? No, no, it was Piastri. Piastri oh, won it. Was Porsche, Porsche was last year then? Porsche won the year after and then yeah. moved to F2. That was yeah, yeah. yeah I, knew um, he'd won, I knew he'd won one. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Oscar came out of that. Uh, like I said, there's only four points between all three of them, which is quite mad, really. Um, so he then went into F2 as F3 champion and, like I say, stayed with the Prima team, um, finished a whole 60.5 points that's yes there was half points that season yeah. <laughs> um so he was a whole 60 points ahead of the nearest person in f2 um i believe that was robert schwartzman i forgot to check that sounds right but it was it was yeah some it, it was a big distance yeah. some would say by f2 standards um and yeah a lot of us have thought that he deserves his kind of shot at this tier for a little while now um is a little bit of a shame that it's been you know his potential has been kind of clouded by this whole contract battle with Renault and McLaren but we finally got to a point where the contract was officially uh, ratified is that the right word for McLaren I think it is Um, and yeah he's going to run 81 this season an Australian out for an Australian in at McLaren (laughs) Uh, swapping the Aussies yeah swapping one Aussie for another so, not much change in that <laughs> that area, <laughs> I guess, at McLaren. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm quite excited to see how Oscar does. Interested to see what you two think. Okay, so first of all, McLaren as a team with the, with its heritage in sort of Oceania region, <laughs> I think it, it is nice to see like a a driver from that part of the world at that team i don't know whether it's like yeah. just a, a, a little romantic it's kind of romantic isn't it it is but it's like it's like when you see a it british makes... driver in a british team yeah, or an italian yeah. driver at ferrari or or whatever exactly. it might be yeah exactly i that. get it yeah, yeah. i get it so like i like that aspect of it and i think it i feel like it doesn't necessarily happen even though we've had it for the last <laughs> sort of however long um Ricardo was there. <laughs> two years like, it doesn't really get paid that much attention to but i do like that yeah. still yeah. so that, that that's kind of fun not that I'd mind if it wasn't, but it's just it's a fun 
tidbit, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. As we love to say, the in terms of Piastri's like in how he's going to. I mean, he's got a big challenge ahead of him against Lando Norris. Norris yeah. is very, you know, in contrast to Albon, Norris is very, very much the the big dog at that team, and yeah. he, you know, things are starting to sort of converge and shape around. Lando Norris and it's it's going to be up to Piastri to sort of fit into what Norris wants much more I would say than maybe what it's going to be for Logan at Williams around Albon yeah. so this is what I was talking about before when I don't necessarily see Albon as much of a team leader when I compare him to Norris who is so clearly a force to be reckoned with within that team and yeah the challenge I think I'd be a lot more forgiving for um, for Piastri than I would be for Sargent in terms of performances re- mm. relative to their teammate. Yeah, based on this sort of based on this analysis. Yeah, he's stepping mm. into a team that's got potential to score a lot of points as well, hasn't he? When yeah. you see what they were doing last year, or at least what Lando was doing for the majority, and well, Ricardo yeah. was doing towards the end. Um, so. It, it will be interesting to see kind of where that car is and, and how Piastri stacks up against Norris, I think. Mm. I'm I'm worried for Piastri. Not because I don't think he's got the goods. I think he's, like, he's had one of the best junior careers. I think he's got the goods. I yeah, do quite a long time. He's up, to me, he's up there with... Sort of, he's on your early Lando Norris, George Russell sort of level right now, I would say. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe he's only feels that way. Yeah, he's around that mark. Like he yeah. might uh, sometimes he might be a little bit above it, sometimes he might be a little bit below it, but he's he definitely hovers in that sort of region of standard of driver. For me. Yeah, I mean back to back F two and F three titles is no mean feat. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. But like, I can't think of a more hyped and more talked about rookie driver. I don't even think Lewis Hamilton had this level of hype coming into his first season. <laughs> he definitely did. <laughs> British media. <laughs> that, that, that's the thing it's like there was the British media oh as, as a young British driver coming into one of the top teams but like worldwide there was a period of time where the only news stories in F1 were about Oscar Piastri I've never mm. known a rookie driver I've never known a driver talks about so much that has not started a race yet I... and I just worry that the level of hype is like so high he's just kind of set up to fail like I anything think, other than I think the only thing that works success. in his favour for that is the fact that although his name was definitely across a lot of sort of motorsport headlines it wasn't necessarily about him and his yeah, ability and his potential exactly. it was about the, the legalities between the teams yeah. and but, it, I think that would probably be the saving grace. Like, no, nobody's come out of this going, like, writing articles about how amazing he is. Yeah. I'll just, just, I'm just going to add to your point. Um, Chris said for, he hasn't for a long time heard of this mu- this many news reports <laughs> being written around a driver before, um, you know, before the start of the season, blah, blah, blah. Uh, sorry, um, not blah, blah, blah. It's a very, very serious point you're making. <laughs> but... I can't remember a, a time when a driver's been a new driver's been coming in Formula One and had this intense a legal battle around them well, yeah. Yeah. driven a race. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. But that's the thing, it's like 
if if all these teams are prepared to like spend all this money on legal yeah. fights over a driver, he must be like the next big thing, you know. Mm. Um, they must like they, they definitely obviously they must like what they see to be going. Oh, to for sure, yeah. yeah. And I think my yeah. other worry for him as well is that as much as the team say otherwise, I don't believe yet that he's not just going to have all the same problems Ricardo had. Honestly, like I I'm not convinced that McLaren are going to be able to just build a car that's their two drivers both get on with the game. It, it that depends on his the last driving years, style. Do that, so. Depends on his driving style, doesn't it? It like, does. I do, obviously, I've watched him over the last few years in the, the lower formula, but I don't know his driving style. That I think it's hard to, to pick out a driving style like that in more spec formula because obviously everyone's working yeah. with exactly the same thing. It kind of comes out a little bit more, I, I would say in something like Formula One because you can see who works well in different philosophies with different teams. And like Ricardo is a prime example of that. Who's Sebastian, more yeah. Yeah, and Sebastian Vettel was a prime example of that. Like when he first left Red Bull and went to Ferrari, um, you know, you could see the difference in philosophy between the two teams had yeah. a massive impact on his driving and he had to adapt to that. Um, so It never I, quite did. And yeah, he never quite did it at Ferrari, I don't think. Um, but yeah, by the by, I, I think it's a little bit more difficult to to say that upfront about Piastri in this scenario. But time will very soon tell as to you know what his pace is like compared to to Norris and compared to whatever teams McLaren are finding themselves mixing with at that point and the other yeah. drivers and and stuff like that. Paul in the chat is already making his predictions for the first race of the season that we need to hold Go him on. to. What have we and got? He's got, he's got Piastri down his first DNF in the first race. Is that Piastri you've got or Norris? Uh, Oscar, I've just seen yeah. it. Bet, bet your house on Oscar crashing turn one first race, first <laughs> DNF. Yeah, well, there you go. There's, uh, there's Paul's predictions. That's, that's Paul's race. predictions made for the fantasy immediately. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've always been very interested to see Piastri get this opportunity it, I'm a little bit like Chris in that I feel for the guy in the sense that it's come with all this around it that maybe people are going to end up being more critical because it's well what was all that legal battle for if you know you're a, a full second well, off Lando yeah. for the first six races of the season or, or, or whatever but you know it is what it is I, I, I will be always doing my best to judge him like without that in mind essentially like judging on the performance as it is and not like you should be doing better than that but more like how's he doing compared to logan who's you know how close is logan to albon compared to how close is piastri to norris but i would i would agree with Stu that i think staying close to norris in that mclaren is probably going to be harder than staying close to albon in that williams as, mu- as as good as albon's been in that williams i think norris in the mclaren is just like or at least last season was like a step above so I will be interested to see kind of how the gaps compare between them yeah I mean Norris is operating on such a high level he's it's a real tough test for him I, I mean I hope McLaren sort of I'm sure they have like shielded him from a lot of this stuff since it's been confirmed he's joined the team and just let him get on with his job like mm-hmm. you know not worry about all the hype and all the stories just get on with what he's there to do so I'm excited to see what he does. I'm really excited to see him. I think he is yeah. very, very, very deserving of a Formula One seat. So, yeah. Shall I move on to the next one? Who is yeah. 
not quite a completely new driver. Um, so many of you probably already know Nick De Vries, and this ain't his first rodeo in Formula One. Hmm. He's already driven for three Formula One teams last season in some capacity. So he had a points finish in Monza uh, when he stepped in for Albon when he had got appendicitis. Um, he also did test sessions for Mercedes and um, Aston Martin. Yeah, I'm right. It was Aston Martin, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, Aston yeah. Martin. Any, anything that Mercedes in it, basically. Yeah. yeah. And now he's essentially joining the fourth team in that list, which is Alpha Tauri. Um, technically, he also <laughs> nearly drove for McLaren at one point because <laughs> when Lando Norris was uh, sick in Mexico, no, Brazil with food poisoning, yeah. he got literally to the point of having a seat fitting to drive the McLaren in Norris's place before Norris decided no I'm I'm racing no matter how I feel I mean that and, alone must make you hot property when you've driven that many current Formula yeah. cars well there's another one because he drove the Alpine although I think it was a previous year's Alpine in a private test at Hungaroring as well during last yeah. season so all in all he drove for more than half the grid technically all came very close <laughs> to at least famous um, formula two driver Nick DeFruit. yeah <laughs> that, fa that famous driver according to the FOM graphics that is joining us from formula two um i mean speaking of his formula two time he did win the title in 2019 it was with art at the time so a well-known name in f2 if you if you follow your junior series much like prima for uh piastri um he had 52 points um over the man he ironically um, replaced briefly at Williams, which was Nicholas. Oh, no, sorry, he replaced Albon. I apologise. Um, but it was over the man who has now been replaced at Williams, should I say, which is Nicholas Latifi. So he was 52 points ahead of him in Formula 2. Um, he was part of a really good title fight in 2018, and I feel that most of you will probably know a few of these names. So <laughs> the title was won by George Russell, second was Lando Norris, and third was his brand-new teammate for this year. Oh, it wasn't his brand new team. I've written this the wrong way around, but it was Alex Albon was the other yeah. one. I've got it in my head for some reason when I've written this that Nick DeFries is going to Williams. That is very clear from my notes. <laughs> and he's not. <laughs> he's going to Alpha Tauri. This is because he drove for Williams last year. I've written it in yeah. that context, and I'm an idiot. <laughs> but yeah, he came fourth behind those three, and we all know how like they've got on in Formula One. So it's not bad company to be in, involved with, is it really, no. in a title And it fight. also shows you that the non-existent motorsport Formula E is actually becoming a, a real path into Formula 1. Too. Well, funny you should mention that, because coming up is the next stage in his career. So after <laughs> F2 champion, um, he basically couldn't find a race seat in F1. He was originally with the McLaren youth programme, um, left them actually just before that season that he won the title. After winning the title, he signed as a Mercedes reserve driver, um, but obviously they didn't have space for him in F1 directly at the time, so he ended up with their Formula E team, as uh, Stu's already alluded to, and he spent three seasons there, and he won the championship in the second of those three seasons. And technically, sorry to all the Max Verstappen fans, but technically he was the first Dutch world champion crowned by an FIA series. He sure was. Soz, oh. guys. Delitos, bag open right there. <laughs> poor, poor Max Verstappen. <laughs> but wait, um, no, but it doesn't matter because Formula One, Formula E doesn't exist. Well, he did come directly here Formula from one, Formula so. Two. It also doesn't count that during that time he was also competing in World Endurance, um, had Le Mans entries through those years as well. Mm -hmm. Does um, that exist? <laughs> to F 
F1? Just about. As long as it doesn't happen. It does to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it matters to me. Um, yeah, he, had, he got a win during one of his uh, seasons there. They won the Fuji Six Hours. So he's, he's, he's won in WEC as well, which is, you know, no mean feat, even if it's not Le Mans 24 Hours. Any of those races is impressive I mean, to win. They're all top tier. They're all top tier. Yeah. Motorsport, 100%. They, so. Um but he did come from Formula 2, remember, Stu? Oh, yeah, sorry, yeah. He's the guy he from did, Formula didn't 2. He compete in any other top-tier motorsports, <laughs> only Formula 2. Sorry, sorry, excuse me. <laughs> We're a Formula 1 podcast. I you do misspoke apologize. that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I feel, personally, this is a driver that probably should have been on the grid for a full season much sooner than this, and I label this as he is living proof that the current F2 champion rule is probably a broken one. Uh, even if just slightly broken, it feels yeah, broken. Yeah, I think, I think he's one of his big problems was like you mentioned the season where he came, well, he was fourth behind Russell Norris and Albon, right? Yeah, and I think it was the following year that he won his Formula Two championship. But it was the year he won it was one of those kind of slightly off years for Formula Two. Like if you look at the top. Um, top five drivers that season it was De Vries Latifi then behind them was Giotto um, Sergio Sete Cameron Jack Aitken who while all very good race drivers they're those kind of journeymen being around for season after season of Formula 2 and GP2 mm. type drivers it's not like other seasons we've had where you've had this stacked lot of um, drivers so I think that may be in a way, it was like a double-edged sword, that championship, because, like, yeah, he won it, but it wasn't yeah. the most impressive season two win, and then he couldn't go back because he was champion, it's, so... Yeah. I do it's one of those... If, oh, so, I do wonder if that rule, just on the rule that you mentioned, I wonder if it would be worth them changing that rule slightly so that you can at least defend your championship. You can have one more season after you've won a championship yeah. mm. to defend it, and then after that... Even whether you defend it or not, after that you can't. Just to give them that extra leeway to keep driving in top tier or nearly top tier before mm. the F1 seat can become available. I mean, maybe like if you can't yeah. secure a role with an F1 team, you get to come back a second year or something like yeah. that. Like yeah, priority is like say, but then like uh, that that'd be difficult to implement because you'd you'd have people, you know, the teams want to get their drive lineup sorted out, and if they're waiting on this other driver to mm. decide whether or not he's going to be yeah, that's true. Formula yeah. One or not, then you know it doesn't work but um giving them the opportunity to stay in the team they're in or, or depending on contracts and so it obviously compl complicates the the driver signing process within f2 but i think when you think about the purposes of f2 the purpose of f2 which is supposed to be a feeder series into formula one for them to just do that and then go off to super formula go to formula e go to world endurance championship it's not doing what Formula One management exactly to do. Yeah. They want people to go straight from F2 to Formula One, and instead mm -hmm. the feeder series are turning into World Endurance Championship for the dreaded, the non-existent dreaded Formula E, um, <laughs> Japanese Super Formula, all that sort of stuff, or even you know Dutch uh, German German touring cars or uh, what is it? Mm. Do DTM. DTM. That's from right. going for the Masters. full. I was full naming them. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, like I think a tweak to that rule would make it into a more legitimate feeder series because it's it's hard to call it a feeder series if 
the driver has to then go away to a completely different yeah. series and they get fed into that instead of actual Formula One. It's just a DTM feed series or a Formula E feed series, or whatever, yeah. which goes against the the philosophy of Formula One not acknowledging other sports exist. <laughs> yeah. I mean, let's face it, though. He's basically got a Formula One seat based on one weekend in Monza. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, he's been given an opportunity and he's... Damn well taking it with both hands. But, yeah. it's, but it's no different from if you if you show up at a test and you do a better job no, it's than not. their existing yeah, yeah. driver, then you're going to get offered a seat probably. So it's, yeah. it's, it's no different from that, I think. I think if you if you can show up on one weekend having barely driven that car and put in that kind of performance, yeah, yeah, you know, some of it is like the car was particularly good that weekend and you wonder what the other driver would have done with it. But still, mm-hmm. like, so, to, he beat his team. It was his first time pr- properly in that car beats his teammate, gets the teams, I think, the first points of that season. Is that right? Or the or, first or, for a very or, long time. Yeah, some of, or, or, yeah. or some of the few points that the team even gets across the season, let's put it yeah. that way, then, you know, what? of course, like, that's going to turn heads. Of course, people are going to be like, oh, this guy needs to drive. If, if, if a seat becomes available, then people are going to be looking at that guy as, as, a, as a really good potential fit because he can just hop in a car and adjust and, and do a good job. I was just going to answer the other point. Um, Albon had scored points a few on a few occasions. Okay, okay. Latifi definitely had not. <laughs> I think the thing with diff- like we, we obviously talked about, you know, what would count as a success or a failure for Sergeant Piastri, and I think both of those drivers are going to be around. I mean, Piastri's probably got a multi-year deal anyway. I think Sergeant's going to be around for at least a couple of years. Joining the Red Bull family, and particularly at the age De Vries is, you know, we're talking about a rookie. Let's not forget that the guy is, what, 27, I think he 27, is 27, yeah. Which is pretty old for an F1 debut. Honestly, I feel like I feel like if he underperforms this year, he'll be gone come the end of the year. And if he performs well, he'll probably be Verstappen's teammate within a couple of years. Like, it could li- really go either way based on his performance in that team it's, uh, it's a thin tightrope isn't it it really is it's a heck of a seat he's found himself in because I mean it sounds like he could have he could have gone to Williams and potentially could have gone to Alpine as well and um, this That's is the, I think this is the, the choice seat, he's made yeah I think given that that potential career path mm-hmm. I think you know these guys why not to, you know if you're if you're 27 and you're looking at a Formula 1 seat finally looking at a Formula 1 seat having won championships elsewhere then this is the logical seat for him to take. I think I might have said yeah. that it was a bad idea in the past, but like actually, like if that career path does sort of present materialize, then yeah, I mean, you know, I, I can see a world if if he does if he does beat Sonoda this year and maybe next year if he stays next year or you know if he beats him this year even it could be at Red Bull as early as next year yeah. Perez is a rubbish year because you know how quick they are to you know how yeah. fickle it, it, really, it really depends on the whole Ricardo situation though as well doesn't it now he's back in that system Red, Red Bull have gone from this weird position they were in where they had no drivers for four seats yeah. <laughs> like where we were like where's all the young drivers gone to suddenly having <laughs> Ricardo back on the books waiting in the wings Perez and Verstappen in the car and then like people like De Vries joining Alpha Tauri to with the hopes of getting in the car like it's gone from nothing to feast again it's famine feast to feast of, feast and famine isn't it yeah. it really it's, is that's yeah. how they work 
And so. you know, De Vries is definitely looking at Perez, who's like, you know, Perez is five years older than him, I think. He's only got a contract until the end of 2024. Like, yeah. I don't think anyone expects Perez to be at that team super long term. He's Obviously, he's doing, he's doing the job they need him to now. I he's He's got a contract at the end of 2024. I would be surprised if he had much more than a one-year extension to that. So, you know... I. The opportunity is very much there for De Vries. I'm going to say this right now, pre-season, before there's Here been any go. testing, anything. I'm going to make a wild prediction, and we can we can write note this down somewhere, <laughs> and we'll come back to it when it either does or doesn't happen. Be that when it does happen, whenever, or when it doesn't happen at the end of, by the end of next season. If now there's a caveat here: if Perez has a shocker of a season or or a not great season. And De Vries is having a very good season and thrashing Sonoda, which I don't think is out of the question. I can see an early promotion for De Vries. Ooh, a bit of a mid-year swap. Into, yeah, in a mid-year promotion. It's not I happened for a while. We've not had like a not. mid-year swap, but I think if it's going to be one, that has got mid-year swap written all over it. Do you, I define if, a poor season for Perez up to the point of the swap. If, what what if defines that? If he's finishing regularly sixth, Six, Basically like getting beat by like beat by the other two the, teams the two that are up there. Yeah, yeah. If okay. he's regularly I, finishing sixth, I think they'll they'll put De Vries in it. If I if think De Vries is beating Sonoda to do a lot worse than that for them to swap him, but it's not it's not out of the question for Red Bull. They have previous with it. Mm. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I, I must point out to the chat. I don't hate Perez. I actually really really like Perez. There's been some questionable sort of tactics from Red Bull in Red Bull involving Perez across the few years that he's been there. But I uh I, I like I like Perez. I respect Perez. I think he's good. It he'd have to have a he'd have to be having a shocker of a season for even for what I'm saying to be the case, he'd have to be having a really, really bad season. Yeah. But if Red Bull see it that way, if Red Bull see him as having a really, really bad season, it could be that he's finishing that it would take him finishing lower than the position I say. That's not really important. The point that I'm making is if he's having a very bad season, then mm. then they'll swoop De Vries into that seat if De Vries is thrashing Sonoda, which, again, I don't think is is uh, is, a, is a crazy idea. No. no. And that's what every Toro Rosso, Alvatari driver has been looking at like that's why that team exists yeah that yeah. team exists for them to be ready to um you know dive into <laughs> that, that seat as soon as Stu being accused <laughs> of backpedaling he's definitely getting accused of backpedaling in the chat <laughs> <laughs> yeah and he wasn't I mean, even by mccheco by the like way the resident the resident checo fan wasn't even the one that accused him of it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see what he can do. Um, I, I think, like I said, I think as, as he's got a, a couple of championships, I think there's sort of asterisks next to both of them, but he's still undoubtedly a decent driver. Really interesting choice for Alpha Tauri, but yeah, we'll see, I guess. Yeah, intrigued by it. Um, and then last one, I mean, most will probably know the name, um, but not everyone will know the tale. <laughs> I feel like you're teeing up a sound clip for this, but no, I haven't. Just, I haven't got. I haven't got. A sound just clip, leading no. us in. 
Now, m most people will know the name, uh, I would think, at this point, even if you are newer to Formula One. he's He's been around in recent years. Uh, that is Nico Hulkenberg. Or Hulkenberg. I, I should I I should have definitely got Daniel Ricciardo going, Nico Hulkenberg! That's exactly what I was just trying to find. <laughs> <laughs> Put it in in post. <laughs> Timestamp this in the chat, in the thing. Do it. <laughs> um, no, so, yeah. For, the, for those newer to Formula One, they will have seen him around. He's done a couple of um, like reserve fill-in drives, um, but I mean he's been in the sport over ten years, technically speaking, um, even if not full time uh, in some of those seasons. So um, he's been one of those drivers that's always kind of seemed to have the potential to do more than he's achieved. But that's putting nicely. He holds a very dubious record, which is most Grand Prix starts without a podium at 181 race starts without a podium so yeah I mean people look t t the only way you get a record like that is if a lot of people think you're a very very good driver and you yeah the way in Formula 1 is often you I mean Alonso will t will will sort of testify to this Ricardo will testify to this sometimes you make the move at just the wrong point where the team's not going to give you the car and I think that's I, a lot to Hulkenberg I think so to to kind of cover his history, I think that sort of tells you that tale. So he started at Williams in 2010. Um, he then had a year off as a reserve driver for Force India, then eventually got the full seat in 2012. Um, spent some time there. And Force India for, for newer fans is what Aston Martin once was. <laughs> More on that later. <laughs> Before that, they were racing point. They became, well, um, we'll, we'll, we'll get there, Stu. Don't get ahead of the okay. don't get ahead of the timeline. So he was at Force India after after Williams, and then he sort of tried to make a move to Sauber when Perez was doing quite well at Sauber. But then the Sauber kind of dwindled a bit, and then he wanted to go back to Force India when the Force India started doing a bit better in the midfield again moved back and then that kind of petered out he like it was a classic case of almost like ricardo sort of just making the move at just the wrong time hmm. ended up ironically at renault uh which is where he probably came closest to a podium out we would say when he was it was literally in a podium position in the heavy rain of 2019 which mercedes fans will not look back on fondly um, oh, in Hockenheim. Hockenheim. yeah and he crashed out from i believe it was third place at the time on track was. Um, but he was, you know, it was on the cards for him, and made a mistake getting out on that drag strip that was drenched that caught a few people out. Oh, that was Hamilton so included. Mm. That day, I worked that race. That day was just a what absolute, a race. Yeah, I think we were working till like really, really late at night because there was just so much radio to cover. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was his time at Renault, which is now Alpine. Um, <laughs> he's then also in the last couple of years stepped in at short notice for like covid and sickness cover for certain drivers um once at racing point uh when i believe it was stroll got covid for that one i want to say yeah in 2020 he did replace both of their drivers at different points oh uh, yeah, yeah. Did, didn't he? maybe yeah. oh yeah sorry um, that stroll was the one where he maybe scored points or maybe did, did points for both he regardless did, yeah. He's, he's raced for Racing Point, which is now Aston Martin, who he's also filled in for <laughs> when Seb was sick at the start of last season. Last season, yeah. Um, so he's been around the grid a long time. Um, and to be fair, outside of Formula One, he's pretty well decorated. Like, he won in 
just about all of his junior formula so he went through like a different era i would say with him being around the grid so long so he went through like the likes of formula bmw a1 gp formula 3 europe so they're like all kind of european based feeder series that used to go to gp3 and gp2 which is now formula 3 and formula 2 but then made the jump from those up into f1 um I mean, whilst being an active Formula One driver in 2015, he won the Le Mans 24 hours with Porsche, a car yeah. I've been lucky enough to go stand next to and like experience. Amazing um, car, a beautiful a, car, a beautiful car, beautiful car. Um, and yeah, I think this could be a story of what could have been in his past, and maybe just getting a last go at it with Haas. Um, I feel like Haas are thinking after what happened with schumacher compared to magnuson like obviously they brought magnuson back into the team at very short notice and what they got out of magnuson compared to what they got out of schumacher last year i think Haas are just thinking you know old head experience on the grid that's what we need right now and they're trying to team magnuson with someone similar and that that's why hulkenberg's been brought in and Some similar to bit, defries bit in a lot of bit less crashy bit less crashy but yeah so someone similar to defreeze as well that can prove like some adaptability like defreeze has jumped in and out of different cars over the course of last year and performed very well in all of them hulkenberg's jumped in cars at extremely short notice like he wasn't even in the right parts of europe before joining some of these races at extremely short notice and then gone on to score points and things in them or, or at least put in solid enough performances that you can like considering you were asleep in austria eight hours ago that's yeah. not a bad performance yeah. <laughs> so yeah. or whatever it was that in that scenario so yeah how, how do we feel about seeing hulkenberg back how do you guys feel i can see why has of recalled him why has have well signed him up for them for the first time like he's a driver that as you say he's not very crashy unless he's in a podium position um <laughs> he, he, he gets the job done he grinds out results he picks up what the car is capable of is he bringing much more than that to the grid i don't think so like for me it's another one of these drivers that's taking up a spot on the grid that there's much more exciting drivers out there to have um i was def i was more excited to see magnuson come back than i am Hulkenberg come back put it that way okay um i find magnuson a more interesting driver who i think has got more to give whereas i feel like you know Hulkenberg was a he had what he had a lot of seasons in f1 and I don't know. I feel yeah. like we, in all those seasons, we saw what Hawkenberg had to offer. I don't really feel like there's more on the table that he's going to bring. He's going to make, at best, he's going to carry on doing the same job, which, again, for a team like Haas, totally understand yeah. why they want yeah, I think, someone like that. Yeah, they, I, think I think that's think kind of the point, isn't it? That's what Haas probably need right now for some yeah. stability. I think for Haas, it's great. I think it's a really, yeah. really, really good coup for Haas to get a driver like Hulkenberg I think mm -hmm. he'll, he does bring a lot to the table for that team I think for the fans he probably brings a little bit less to the table for the, all the reasons Chris just said um, yeah stability is what Haas need and adaptability from their drivers and that is what Hulkenberg brings You've, they've seen you know they've seen his portfolio they know what he's capable of they know yeah. where their car's going to be 
they know they need like a, a a clear set of heads to work on developing their car and getting them further up the grid and and identifying the issues that they have with that car and i think maybe what schumacher and, and any any other young driver you know mazapan before that and whoever before that well it was grosjean and magnus actually grosjean and magnus at that point before um, that yeah uh, excluding Grosjean and Magnussen from that I think they were two experienced drivers in that team at the time and I think the performance of that team showed it at showed. that time yeah. whereas once they moved into this sort of young driver mentality then that sent them back really really quick and I think it showed mm-hmm. them that actually you know experience does count in Formula 1 it's not all about having the young hotshot it's about having especially for a team like that it's about having clear direction clear instruction and the ability to develop a car and get the most out of that car in varied situations because let's face it a car like that is going to drive different from what vastly different from one circuit to the next because the development just doesn't it just doesn't get the same level of development as what uh, a Mercedes or a Red Bull or a Ferrari gets like you're not going to get the same consistency from the car therefore your drivers need to be able to adapt to the changes in the mood of that vehicle um, yeah. and I think Hulkenberg is very capable of that and I also think Magnussen's good at that so um, they I, should do well next year I think basically. I like to think that what this will do is you, you've already touched on it Stu is kind of hopefully bring back Haas to that point that we saw earlier in their life in Formula 1 of having Grosjean and Magnussen together actually saw them coming very close like podium finishes and stuff like yeah. that uh, yeah. were it not for like unfortunate mistakes and, and things going wrong and I think there's a lot of stuff like that that when they were a newer team I wouldn't say you expect it but it's kind of it's stuff that you you learn from and you work it, it works its way out and it doesn't become the norm I think Haas are at that point now. Haas are not at a point where the car, go, both cars, go out without wheels attached and stuff like what was happening to <laughs> to Grosjean and Magnussen. It, it's more that they've had crashy drivers for a couple of years, and Magnussen coming back into that fray last year added a little bit more stability to that. And like you say, they've they've learned that they're too young as a team to be able to go out there and put two inexperienced drivers in their car and expect it to work one is a potential but you need an extremely strong leader that can run that team and it's not that magnuson isn't it's just that it's too much of an ask for a driver like magnuson i think like let like drivers like magnuson and hulkenberg just focus on being consistent and let the team develop the car around what they're achieving and and make the improvements where they can and rather than spending their time trying to work out how to get a rookie to keep all four blocks of rubber yeah. on the tarmac and yeah, well, keep all the, keep all out the corners walls. attached to it yeah, yeah. and keep the car in the right areas and not two <laughs> yeah yeah. Um, what do we reckon to Magnussen and Hulkenberg as a as a driver pairing as teammates because they um, have history <laughs> it's yeah. te- team SMB I'll not say the yeah I'll, I'll not say the know, phrase you know. But if you know the paddock incident between Magnussen and Hulkenberg, you know what Team SMB stands for. You know, for. stuff happens though, doesn't it? Like that's one incident, and yeah, like 
temperature you know both just got it happens oh, yeah. things happen like you, you see it from all the drivers when they're really really it's, it's emotional like if you've just yes. done an accident at those speeds adrenaline's pumping you're gonna say yeah. stuff um i think there is potential this having said that there of course with any driver pairing there's potential for fireworks if they're both in sort of if they have a decent car and they're both in context in, in contention for decent scoring every weekend and they're around each other then yeah they're going to be racing each other and of course they're going to be there's going to be crossed words there's no doubt about it they i think they they might pass yeah they both strike me as driving for myself first kind yeah. of drivers and 100 percent. i mean we I saw mean, magnuson and grosjean coming yeah to i was i was about to say times. that was that was exactly what they were like but Weirdly enough, Haas was still getting half decent results throughout that, and that's probably what the management team of Haas kind of see in this scenario. Is I don't yeah. Gunther Steiner is not sitting there thinking I'd love my drivers to be best friends. He's there like yeah. I don't care if you don't get on, get behind the wheel, beat each other, just don't hit each other on track. That's all Gunther Steiner cares about, and yeah. they are probably going to have wheel to wheel. Um, battles and Gunther Steiner is probably going to be throwing a few f bombs around like he's notorious for. And I can't wait for the Drive to Survive season that covers what comes up between them two because it'll probably be mm-hmm. quite juicy. We can get some Gunther Steiner time. Yeah, again. I think Drive to Survive, Drive to Survive is going to be rad next year because oh, yeah. like half the season is going to be has. <laughs> yeah. H- however, I think the experience in the heads of both those drivers will probably allow them to still get the best out of the car despite wanting to be competitive with each other. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I think so. over time they probably like mature out a little bit yeah. anyway. Like they're so. still competitive, but they're sort of I guess mellower about it when it comes to their interactions, like as teammates. Yeah, I, I think that, I think a lot would have to happen for them to be really yeah. real to will to each other with each other enough for there to be the kind of fireworks yeah. that we're talking about here. I think realistically, yeah. to begin with, Magnussen is probably going to be a bit quicker than Hulkenberg anyway, but. I also think that as we go through the season, they're both at this stage a little bit older, a little bit wiser, a bit smarter than to just be in a budget cap era, taking chunks out of each other on track. I think yeah. you know, too has smart to be, for that. Yeah, you have to think about the team and you have to think about your own championship because if you're both crashing into each other so often that you bankrupt the team, then you know no one's getting any points at the end of the season, are they? Yeah, I mean, that's Agreed. why... Gunter Steiner was on the verge of firing both of them after that race at Silverstone a few years ago. Yeah. As a side note, again, from the Racing with Rich Energy book that I'm reading at the moment, there's a number of interviews with, um, like anonymous interviews with ex-Hass employees, all very, very complimentary of Gunter Steiner as a team boss and a manager and the way he runs things, mm-hmm. which is which is nice to read. Because cool. obviously you see a version of him on... TV and on Drive to Survive and stuff, but it strikes me as obviously quite, heavily. What you, see, what you see is what you get. I think, mm, yeah, and that's always helpful with with anyone with any in any line of work. Yeah. I think if you know the truth and if you if yeah. people are straight with each other, then things get done a lot quicker. Usually, I, I think the the only thing that I've like I don't mind his management style generally. Let's put it that way. Like, he, I mean, he got results out of Grosjean and Magnussen realistically, didn't he? But there was one. There's one thing out of the whole Drive to Survive context that I never liked about Gunther. It's the one thing that's always like kind of bugged me and it's always like been in the back of my mind. But there's that one incident probably back in the first season of Drive to Survive where they're having like a team meal 
and he makes some joke about like well if Grosjean didn't crash all the time he'd oh, be yeah. here having a meal with us oh, I can't remember the exact wording but that struck me as a little bit it was only because Grosjean had not shown up though he'd been invited and didn't show well, up Exactly. There's, there's obviously a little bit more context to it, and Drive to Survive definitely made, portrayed it probably very differently to the actual course of events. But mm -hmm. it's always, for whatever reason, that's always stuck with me. But then, from what you see in like later years of him and what you've experienced of him, you know, around the grid in interviews and stuff since, I would say like it's always just one thing in the back of my mind. But overall, I think it's just like like you said, it's kind of just what you see is what you get like he's he's, he's just honest 24 7 like if he's thinking something he just comes out and says it quite, yeah quite rare in formula one hmm. Hmm. like i can't remember the exact quote where there was like something from the book you might need to warm up the bleep machine for this tom i'll, I'll oh. just give it justice but like someone was saying like if like something went wrong you know a part didn't perform or like something failed or whatever his his style would be he'd come to the factory and be like well you that up didn't you all right what we're we gonna do about it how are we gonna fix this what can i do for you and just kind of acknowledge it move on kind of thing like that That's was what, very what much you his... can do because yeah. if, you, if you dwell on it that you, you don't waste your energy focusing on the mistake focus your energy yeah. on the solution focus on how you're going exactly. to fix it that's mm. you know it's just wasted emotion it's wasted energy like to to to, to be really upset about something that's gone wrong it just makes yeah. no sense yeah I like that. I like it a lot. Yeah. I need, I need oh. to read that, but you need to Yeah, read again, it. for the second week in a row, I can very much recommend reading it. It's very good. Um, that's that's it for the for the new new in quote marks. That is drivers. the new faces. Mm. Um and at that point we're getting very close to car launches already. It's Somehow. I think it's been it's been such a busy newsy winter. <laughs> like what normally feels like an absolute age to get to actual new stuff. It's come around very quickly. So we've got all but one of the teams now. It starts with Red Bull on Feb 3rd, which I think is a week on Friday, if I have my maths correct. Um, oh, something like that. <laughs> and Williams on the 6th, Alfa Romeo on the 7th, Alfa Terry on the 11th, Aston Martin and McLaren 13th, Ferrari 14th, Mercedes 15th, Alpine 16th. It's going to be a hectic couple of weeks. Um, so we will obviously be doing podcasts in and around that. Um, in fact, last year, I think we did a couple where we sort of were recording while watching the launches live. So we'll maybe think, try and do a couple oh, of them again. Yeah, there was, a we there, was a weird, there was a weird one where there was a launch literally happening as we were yeah. recording. So like we were like, maybe McLaren? Was it McLaren? Yeah, maybe? it was. It was. Yeah, I think it was. So yeah, we'll maybe try and do a, a few of those if we can again, because uh, that was that was pretty mm. good fun. Um but yeah, we will be back next week in some capacity. We've still got a few kind of previewy things um, penciled in. So we've got a few more things to talk about before uh, the car launches. And then, of course, we'll do all the usual rating the liveries, rating the cars, um, making our far too early predictions that will prove to be Stu's already wrong. started. <laughs> yeah, Stu's already started. Stu's already got Stand one. Stand by it, early. Stand by it man. Stand by that. Um, I've, I've got a couple in mind. I'm excited for that episode. Yeah, me too. Um, but yeah, that will do us for this week. So thanks again for joining us. Uh, we'll be back very soon. Uh, goodbye from me and goodbye from them, guys. Bye. Bye.